0: This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. Austin Chronicle show I'm Mike Clark Madison I'm the news editor of the Austin Chronicle Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981 and I am joined today by my colleague friend mentor predecessor maybe even successor down the line oh, no. the <laughs> NM the <laughs> the one and only Michael King and if you have been following the Chronicle for the last month two months 20 years you know that pretty much what we've been focused on the two of us in particular in our writing is kind of all elections all the time 2020 turning Texas blue all of the crazy stuff happening the circus is in town and this week in the Austin Chronicle you will find our oft-awaited endorsements in many many races Um, from the presidency down to the constables (laughs) and we're not going to talk about every single race on the ballot and uh, we have endorsed only in the Democratic primary, which we don't think is going to be a surprise to anybody who reads the Chronicle. But there are some choices for those of you who vote in the Republican primary, uh, particularly state rep races locally are the most contested. And also, if you happen to live in the little tiny piece of Austin in Travis County that is in Congressional District 17, which is the one that stretches from there to uh, College Station to Waco, there is a 12-way Republican primary in that race and it is a hoot so michael you've also been doing all of the coverage of a lot of these races and let's start closer to the top i have kind of handled what we have done on the presidential campaigns that was mostly focusing on better work and and julian castro when they were in the race but you've been looking at the senate race which is really you know that that's the top of our ballot and so what's the state of play there who's who's going to make the inevitable
1: runoff well, that's a, good, that's a good question. Yeah, it does look like there will be a runoff. I think it's pretty clear that uh, M.J. Hagar will be there if there is a runoff. Uh, not only has she been uh, running for a very long time compared to the other folks in the race, uh, but she's raised a whole lot more money than they have uh, in general, although there are at least, I think I said, five candidates of the dozen that have enough resources to run statewide. People wonder about you know the role of money in politics, and it's sort of like building a house. You can decide to build a house, but if your budget is uh, you know thousand dollars, you're mm-hmm. not going to build build much of a house. And um, uh, the surprise in the Senate race was that uh, Chris Bell, the former uh, congressman and who ran for governor seems to have lost all uh, substantial support. So that leaves the field, basically, to uh, Hagar, uh, Royce West, the state senator, Christina Sinsun-Ramirez, the uh, Workers' Defense Project activist and JOLT activist, and Amanda Edwards from Houston. And uh, our our wise people, wise men and women, settled on Christina. She's a— Favorite daughter of Austin, obviously a, a well-known figure here. But as we pointed out, she also represents a rising generation in right. Texas politics. So right. any three of these folks, I guess, is a basically a progressive Democrat. Right. Uh, Ramirez is is hardcore uh, Medicare for all and Green right. New Deal, which are these uh, litmus tests this right. year. But uh, any one of them can uh, uh, represent a progressive agenda, especially against uh, the incumbent John Corn. And whether they can beat Corn is a is a big question. I mean, right. he, they have decent money. He has enormous amounts of money, right. and so he can flood the airwaves almost obliterate the opposition from existing but uh it, it should be a good race for the next month or so between uh, these three or four yeah state I, characters um i've done you know some
0: of the coverage of the sort of larger effort to turn texas blue in 2020 and people talk about of course all of these resources that are flowing into the state that were never here before we used to be the atm that sent money to battleground states and now we are the battleground state but even the people who are really into this think that the Senate is probably the the biggest lift of any of the things on the ballot. They think that much more feasible to take control of the State House of Representatives, uh, flip a couple of congressional seats, and potentially even win the electoral votes of, of Texas for the Democratic nominee before they think we can beat John Cornyn.
1: Well that's interesting. I would not I would not necessarily uh, rank that above the the electoral votes. Uh, well it depends on who I think and how Texas gets organized
0: and we're only just now starting to see presidential campaign activity because, you know, everyone was in New Hampshire and iowa but we do have uh warren has been on the ground for a while and warren is our endorsee at the austin chronicle we think that she's the only candidate that's better than bernie sanders who we endorsed four years ago uh bernie is opening offices around the state today with kind of a big splash and he's got the wind at his back from you know winning half of iowa and all of new hampshire um and Bloomberg opened his office here a couple of weeks ago. That was a that was a hoot. He had Judge Judy here. I missed that. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. it was a spectacle. And yes, this man has money is no object to Michael Bloomberg. But yeah. And, you know, Klobuchar and Biden and others will start you know, working around on the ground. And of course, Warren has the head start and has Julian Castro as her chief surrogate to be working in Texas. So it'll be interesting to see what that happens in the next couple of weeks, and I'll be doing some coverage of this before election day. But on the congressional races, the primaries are already you know pretty hot and heavy right now. And for two of them in particular, District 10, District 25, you have the people who were the nominees two years ago and who came much closer than Perhaps had been expected in some of those races because they weren't focused on really as targeted races at that time, but they are
1: now. Right. That's 10 has three decent Democratic candidates uh, Mike Siegel, um, Shannon Hutchison, and Pritesh Gandhi. Um, uh, Gandhi and Hutchison have the money, Uh, Siegel has the ground game. We endorse Siegel last time and this time um uh the question is whether he has enough resources to take on michael mccall the incumbent uh the others argue that he does not um uh, but he has built an organization all across that district which is one of those stretchy gerrymandered district from lakeway to uh to north houston Mm -hmm. um can't remember exactly what right. town is Tomball Tomball yeah. yes <laughs> and your neighbor's uh, in Tomball. Yeah. yeah so um, uh, all three of those are solid candidates um, and uh, we endorse Siegel, but um, we think any one of those three can take on McCall and and uh, give him a run since he's not used to having to run. In twenty-five, that's the one that stretches from San Marcos to the Fort Worth suburbs. Uh, uh, Williams, what's Williams' first Roger. name? Roger. Roger Williams uh, is the incumbent. Day there, the same kind of situation. And Julie Oliver has just exhausted herself over the last three years, going from one end of that district to the other. Her opponent is Heidi Sloan, again, a newcomer, calls herself a, a farmer organizer. She does work at Mobile Loaves and Fishes as a, as a farmer and is a solid candidate as well. We endorse Julie in part because uh, we think she's got a better ground game. Uh, Sloan has, has uh, relied primarily on organization in Travis County because there's a lot of Democratic votes here but the, uh, the general election candidate is gonna have to uh, run across that district. That's why that's gerrymandered that way. On the issues, they're virtually identical. Uh, hard to right. make a distinction. Um, uh, the main difference is that uh, uh Sloan is a candidate of the Democratic Socialists of right. America and and you know they have a particular agenda but in terms of the policy there's not much difference so uh, those are two good races and maybe they can uh, maybe they can flip those seats right. so that's about uh i think we figured out it's like 45% of
0: Austin lives in one of those two districts and then another third lives in Lloyd Doggett's district, still CD35, which even though he's, everyone thinks of him as Austin's congressman, most of his voters actually don't, his constituents actually don't live in Austin. Um, We endorsed him. He does have a a token opponent. And then over in CD21, which is West Austin, and that stretches down to the San Antonio, North San Antonio suburbs, and then out toward the Hill Country, uh, that's the race that Wendy Davis is running in.
1: Right. And um, Davis has two advantages. She's a a national figure and... The incumbent Chip Roy is is uh, roundly uh, despised, uh, except by hardcore Republicans. Davis does have an opponent in the in the primary, Jenny Lou Leader, but she has very few resources. She's very earnest. She's been running through a couple of injuries, broken arm and 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 uh, rib, but Davis will win that primary very easily. And then mm-hmm. the question is, can she keep? Her, her current financial lead on Roy, um, when when the National Republican Party starts pouring money into that race, he, he's a, he's a nasty opponent, to be frank. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like they used to say about Ted Cruz; even his best friends don't like him. Well, and, and Chip, Chip Roy was <laughs> Ted Cruz's chief of
0: staff. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So he's
1: he's a protege of Ted Cruz. Right. And that kind of politics, yes. that kind of scorched earth politics. So. Yes. Uh, Maybe Davis can pull that one off.
0: Right. That's definitely what people are thinking. Uh, The one last congressional race that is worth noting is uh, for the 31st district, which is Williamson and Bell County, which, of course, now includes a lot of the city of Austin. This is the race that M.J. Hagar nearly won two years ago, which made her a star against John Carter, who kind of forgot he was a congressman. Um, He's not going to be so easy to take on this time. I think they did wake him up, but there's a five-way race up there in the primary. So that's likely to go to runoff as well. But we endorsed Christine Edie Mann, who came in second to MJ Hagar two years ago in the primary, right?
1: For a lot of the same reasons. And there were six or eight candidates in that primary for a while. And then for various, mostly personal reasons, uh, they started dropping out. Um, At last count, there were uh, five of which probably three have a decent shot. Uh, Edie Mann... Donna Imam, who's been kind of uh, mysterious, but has raised a considerable amount of money. And then a couple of others, Dan Jigian, who's a businessman, insurance and restaurants. Uh, Eric Hankey, who's a very engaging singer-songwriter. And then Tammy Young, who's a Round Rock City Council member and may have the highest profile other than AD bands. Yeah, you're guessing runoff, and that sounds like uh, that sounds like a reasonable surmise. All right, uh, we've
0: been talking politics. Guess you know, surprising, um, and going down the ballot, and talking about the elections mostly. That Michael has been covering for us. Um, and we've gone through uh, the President, Senate, and the congressional races, So That takes us down to the Travis County ballot. There are actually, before I get there, there are a couple statewide races. There's the Railroad Commission race, and this is to take on uh, in the Democratic primaries, take on the incumbent Ryan Sitton, who is an appointee who I don't think has actually ever run. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he's run once. But, you know, these people, nobody knows who they are, except that they control, like, the oil and gas industry in Texas and are hugely powerful and are thus often corrupted by the oil and gas industry in Texas. We got three candidates on the Democratic side. Actually, there's four, but three that people are taking notice of. Krista Castaneda, who is actually also an oil and gas industry person, but who is, you know, committed to a greener energy economy, uh, is sort of leading the pack in terms of both statewide support, fundraising, etc. cetera, uh, over Roberto Alonso, who was a former state legislator. There's candidate in the race, Kelly Stone, who is not particularly qualified for the job in terms of resume, but she's the most outspoken, firmly committed to a Green New Deal and a carbon-free economy and the things that would actually will eventually actually put the rubber commission out of business. So if those are things that matter to you be you know aware that you do have that choice on the ballot. And then there are statewide judicial races where we've made some recommendations. Most of these are really hard for people to track. We think that there are some good candidates out there. We also think that there's an important race, a judicial race that's kind of a curious one that people don't, they hear a lot about it, but they don't quite understand. Is it. the Third Court of Appeals, which is the intermediate appeals court between the district courts here in Travis County and the state Supreme Court or the Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, and there's like 15 courts of appeals around the state or some number like that. And we're the third. And it's 16 counties, I think, are in the district, but Austin's the largest one of them. And the race for the Chief Justice of this court is which is like yeah it, it is on the ballot um and there's two like real heavyweights in the democratic primary
1: darlene byrne and uh, keith hampton right both of whom are are uh uh really solid candidates this was a tough race for us to uh come down on um Uh, Byrne is a longtime judge, very expert in family law, not only as a judge, but as a uh, national advocate. I don't know exactly how long she's uh, been on the the court, but she's been there a long time. And Keith Hampton, who is probably uh, the most or certainly one of the most distinguished appellate, uh, attorneys in the state. He's been tremendous in the past on th- a lot of stories that and and issues that we've written about the death penalty, uh, the Lucretia Murray case, the Fran and Dan Keller daycare case. And we finally endorsed uh, Keith Hampton, uh, in part because of that record, but also because uh, when we talked to the candidates, he was one with the clearest idea of what that third court would mean. In terms of appellate law, in light of the uh, the uh, current Trump administration f- packing of the federal judiciary with uh, with right wingers, right, and he sees that court as a bulwark of uh, trying to write opinions and decide cases in such a way that will make it more difficult for that federal judiciary to move legal politics, uh, far right. Either one of those candidates is really solid, but that's why uh, we went for Keith.
0: Right. Um, In terms of the local district judge races, the the folks here in Travis County who's cases will get appealed to the third court, which we should note that the third court, as well as some of the other appeal courts in the state, flipped from red to blue in the wave in 2018. So it's now a majority Democratic court, and there's people who used familiar names like Giselle Triana, who were longtime district judges in Travis County, are now on the third court. Um, So in the local judicial races, there's a couple of Interesting ones, and we've of course made recommendations. There's a lot of good people running in those races, and it was very hard to make some of these decisions. Um, one of the ones that we think is interesting is uh, the the one sixty seventh, which is David Wahlberg, who is an incumbent. I think is the only incumbent who's got like a serious challenge. That's right. Um, from Dana Blazy, who's a longtime assistant district attorney and in charge of. Diversion programs and other things that you have know, large parts of the district attorney's office, and you, right. you've you done a little
1: looking right. into well, that we race. Can, we we did come down in favor of Wahlberg. Um, uh, we tend to do that in races where the, the we think the incumbent has been doing a decent job. There was a kind of awkward tap dance in this particular race over the between the candidates as to whether or not um, uh, Wahlberg intended to retire. Blasey says that when she decided to um, uh, run, she was of the understanding that he uh, would. That he would, and he said, "Well, he thought about it and decided he didn't want to." So, yeah. and, um, and she didn't drop out, so right. they're here now. They're here now. So again, two good, solid candidates. Uh, we think the, the margin goes to Wahlberg, and, and in part because he came out originally out of the criminal defense bar. And and we think that adds some balance to that court that otherwise it might not have. Blasey's been a terrific prosecutor, which to some degree might speak against her, um, but uh, she's been very good. So, But we, we, we decided Wahlberg was a better
0: choice. Right, and there's a couple other races on the, on the courts that pit a prosecutor and a defense lawyer. Yeah. There's one in the district court. It was uh, Selena Alvarenga and Amy Meredith—
1: That's right. And we endorsed Alvarenga as a
0: newcomer. Who's the defense attorney in that race from the defense bar. And then county court at law number four. This is a really interesting race. Uh, The county courts at law handle misdemeanor cases. This one in particular handles family violence. And when Judge Mike Denton, who basically created the court in its current form, retired and entered the race for county attorney, which we will get to in a second. He left the court behind. There was a contest to appoint his current replacement, was basically a job interview before the Travis County Commissioner's Court, um, with three candidates who, one of whom was, of course, selected, Judge Dimple Mahotra, and she and the other two are now running against each other in the primary, Malhotra was the prosecutor in this court, and the other two, Margaret Chun-Kircher and Denise Jeffers, are defense attorneys who often are in this court.
1: This is really an inside baseball race for the for the bar, uh, and the and the courthouse denizens. And Malhotra obviously has an advantage now in that she's a default incumbent, although she's only been on the court since, I think, October. It's like, yeah, a couple of um, months. But the fight, the, the, there's that tension between the defense bar and the prosecutors, which is institutional. And then uh, the defense bar in particular felt like Denton had left the court fall into a ba- backlog condition, that he simply hadn't moved cases fast enough. Uh, he and Malhotra and his defenders insist that it's not a backlog problem, but a caseload problem, that there needs to be another family violence court, which is, there's a good argument for that. There are a okay. lot of these cases, unfortunately. Right. Uh, there have been some minor steps taken to try to rearrange that, um, moving out the so-called non-intimate partner of violence cases um drunk guys on 6th Street, but it also could be family members that are not uh, intimate partners um at any rate, uh, so it's playing out that inside bar politics are right. playing out but it's race.
0: something that you know average voters who don't know any of this when you see like uh, Mark Ch campaign signs it says end the backlog <laughs> and you probably have like no idea what that means. Well, this is what it means now you know. And you would know that if you read the Chronicle, which, of course, you do. Right. Um, So Denton, you know, longtime esteemed judge. He steps down. He decides to run for county attorney. He would probably win this race by acclamation in a normal cycle. Um, But this isn't a normal cycle. And instead, he now has three opponents, one of whom has drawn the most attention in the race because she's the highest profile with the most name ID. And that's Mayor Pro Tem.
1: Delia Garza. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the city council is better known uh, than Travis County government, especially the courts. So you have uh, Garza, um, who's got great name ID. Her opponents say she doesn't have the right experience. Uh, Lori Isolo, who's an assistant county attorney, has been there on the civil side for a long, long time. Denton, who's been a, a criminal judge for 20 years but came out of the county attorney's criminal side years ago and then finally Dominic Salvera who's a criminal defense attorney um without really the relevant experience but he's sort of filling up the left gap if you will on that uh on that list Mike is a better numbers counter than I am he's thinking that the whole uh thrust of this campaign so far is to get Garza into a runoff um She's been roundly attacked by people as being not just unqualified, but ethically challenged. Uh, we didn't necessarily buy that. We ended up uh, endorsing Iserlo on the base of her experience and her plans. Although we had questions about her, too, mm. uh, which you can read about this week if you like. Um, so it's an interesting race. Um it kind of spills over from other races simultaneously, but um, mm-hmm. that's what the arguments are about, right? And and interestingly,
0: Mike Denton has not izarlaged our our endorsement. She got the Statesman endorsement. I think she and Garza would have to be seen as the front runners, at least in terms of media attention and fundraising, even at this point. Yeah, although I we don't have have thought the that. I
1: yet. would have thought that Denton would Denton be. and Garza were yeah. the likely suspects, although. You know, the women's vote is very important in Travis right. County, so that, uh, the usual figure people will cite is 3 to 4%.
0: Right, and a woman has never been county attorney. That's true. Yes. A woman is district attorney. <laughs> Here's your segue. There's a segue. <laughs> um, the second woman to be district attorney of Travis County, uh, Margaret Moore, incumbent. And as you can read in the Chronicle this week, and I'm not going to belabor it here, um, Michael Thinks highly of her, and other people don't. And the race, though, not t- not talking about our endorsement, but talking about the actual campaign that you've covered between her and Jose Garza and and Aaron Martinson. What are some of the issues that that is turning on?
1: Well, the heaviest profile issue has been the, the office's treatment of sexual assaults. It's been been strongly disputed as to whether the DA's office takes sexual assault seriously enough to the point that there have been lawsuits filed, some of which got just dismissed a few days ago. Right. And then we've, we uh, have that story lawsuits. in the issue. Right. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so you have three candidates, Moore, who's the incumbent, but it's only been there for three years and came in as a reformer after the. After the problems associated with Rosemary Lindbergh's last years, you have Jose Garza out of the Workers' Defense Project, who's come in also as a reformer, less on— uh, on the sexual assault issue, then on things like uh, general criminal defense r- reform, cash bail and bail so reform, on. Bail reform, sentencing reform, right. And then Aaron Martinson, a victim's advocate attorney who is one of the strongest voices in town that the DA's office has not taken sexual assault seriously enough. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Moore's response has been basically that she's running as fast as the office can and mm-hmm. that that the, that her opponents are are ignoring the the uh, the reforms she has made, uh, more uh, attention to uh, um, sexual assault and family violence, uh, more attention to people getting arrested on minor drug charges, um, and, and and so on. So those yeah. are the issues there. And yeah, we did split on that. Which, so there you have it. You
0: know, is a tradition at the Austin Chronicle. So (laughs) it wouldn't be the Austin Chronicle if we didn't disagree on an endorsement. Anyway, that's about all the time we have. All we can say at this point is you need to go vote and you can do that as early as Monday. So that's why we've been talking about endorsements because early voting starts on the 18th. Last to the 28th. Election Day is March 3rd. Uh, thanks to Michael King for joining me. Thanks to our engineer, Evan Hearn, as always. Thanks to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music. Be sure to pick up the issue this week because it on the cover you'll see it doesn't have anything to do with politics unless you think that this lovely three-toed sloth says something about politics. I'm Mike Clark Madison. Thanks for joining us.